As a southerner and a child of the Bible Belt, I have seen a lot of church signs in my days. A lot of religious placards, a lot of religious bumper stickers, um, some of them entertaining, others terrifying, and a few that were quite funny. And my all-time favorite in the latter category was a bumper sticker I saw once on a pickup truck. It was a red bumper sticker. It had white letters, and the white letters read, Jesus loves you, but I'm his favorite. And I remembered it when I read this gospel reading, which strangely suggests or implies that Jesus has a favorite apostle, the beloved apostle, the one who in John's gospel is closest to Jesus's heart, but yet is anonymous. For a long time, going back to the gospel, for a long time through today, there's been speculation about who this beloved apostle is. The liturgy, our hymnody, the opening collect suggest, and it being St. John's Day, that the beloved disciple, of course, is John, the author of the fourth gospel. That's suggestive, interesting, beautiful, perhaps unrealistic, when we remember that James is the brother, John is the brother of James, they're both sons of Zebedee, the fishermen. These are simple people, perhaps very uneducated, even illiterate. So it may be unlikely that John the evangelist is literally the beloved apostle, but who knows? Modern and contemporary theologians seem to suggest that the beloved apostle could be female. John's gospel has these strong female characters. The Samaritan woman, Mary and Martha of Bethany, Mary Magdalene, of course. And what if this beloved apostle is female and as the church is growing and becoming more organized with more bishops and all of that and more patriarchal, that what John was doing is making his lead character anonymous because she's a female and therefore this gospel might lose some credibility or standing in the growing patriarchal church. Others think that the beloved disciple is a composite character, representative of all the characters, those strong characters, those strong women in John's gospel. And we see in this anonymous character all of them. And what Jesus loves most is not one person, but John's community. It's kind of like saying that John, of all the churches in the early church, The beloved one, the favorite one, is John's. Regardless of the anonymity, regardless of what we don't know, this story tells us so much about one whom we do know, Jesus. And the way Jesus loves so deeply and personally. John's Gospel can't describe love without telling stories, and neither should we. I, of the four Gospels, so Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, John's my favorite. Are you glad this is St. John's Church? That's probably fitting when you're in my role, but it really is my favorite, not just, it always has been, even before I got here. It's my favorite Gospel. My um, all-time favorite priest, no offense to any priests who are here, 
is named John as well. And because John sent me to seminary, John was my parish priest when I became an Episcopalian, so he's my favorite. And John is someone I often think about when I'm trying to remember why it is I do this and what makes for a good priest. Because I can remember back what a good priest was and is for me. John is sort of the archetypal Episcopal priest, the perfect combination of head and heart. Served for a long time as a campus minister in Auburn, Alabama at the university and now is retired. He has wonderful sympathy for the mystery and ambiguity of the human condition. And I remember so many stories, but one in particular stands out. I was serving the time in North Alabama. John was way down in Auburn, different part of the diocese. And I went to a diocesan funeral of another priest whom I did not know next town over. And I just went because you're sort of supposed to do that. And just to be a part of the team and priests, I don't know if you know this, are invited at at, at priest burials to come and vest and join in procession. Um, My dad, who is not an Episcopalian, has a wonderfully irreverent sense of humor, calls it the parade of penguins. And I was going to join the parade of penguins for this burial. And as we came in, I realized that my priest John from Auburn was way up in North Alabama at this burial, and I couldn't figure out why until I listened to the homily. And I realized that the priest who was being buried, Bob Cook, was from Tuscaloosa, that other town in Alabama. And it dawned on me that John, my priest, grew up in Tuscaloosa. So after the service, I went up to John and said, hey, great to see you. I didn't expect to see you here Bob must have been your parish priest growing up. He said, of course, in Tuscaloosa at Christ Church. I was like, ah, isn't that something? I said, it was right after the service. I said, so Bob must be the reason why you wanted to be a parish priest. And without breathing, without thinking, John said, still in his vestments, Bob Cook is the reason why I know unconditional love. I was thinking about the vestments and the hierarchy and the church and the tradition and the priesthood. Bob Cook is the reason why I know unconditional love. That's my dream. For people to say that when I die. That's my dream is to be one of the hundreds of reasons why you know and realize and feel that you You yourself are the beloved apostle. Words and stories about love only get us so far, of course. I was reading recently um, a newspaper article by a psychologist talking about, the, the title of the article is, When a parent's I love you means do as I say. And the, the psychologist take is he's describing um, what he calls conditional parenting. And his real original thought is this, that we think about conditional parenting or conditional loving being when someone um, is a little hard on you, too harsh, too much of a disciplinarian, and so you have this conditional sort of childhood or growing up and such. His take is that's true, but 
there also is such a thing as conditional affirmation, conditional loving. And this occurs when a parent, or anyone, when a parent affirms and praises a child most often when that child has succeeded or done something well. And he cites this incredible body of research that says that that children who are parented that way, who are loved that way, who are affirmed most often and sometimes only when they succeed, actually grow up to be adults who are less secure and have less of a sense of worthiness and place in their own families and in their own society. They're plagued by these doubts, even though they were affirmed so much for all of their successes. So the psychologist's advice becomes this. Think about how something looks and feels actually from a child's perspective and whether or not that child, or I think any person, feels loved even when they mess up. Perhaps it's a good thing, a really good thing, that the beloved apostle is anonymous. Because it means that we can't project onto that anonymity success or obedience or even goodness, because we don't know. And thus we're invited to imagine that Christ loves that anonymous apostle unconditionally, and by extension loves all of us, unconditionally, regardless of what we've done or left undone. In other words, that Christ loves us deep, deep down at the level of our being, not our doing. 